All right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to be here. Uh, we are in week 10 of uh, going through Ephesians. And uh, not a, I can't really, I'm not going to try to catch everyone up on what's been going on in the book. Um, and, and yet, this is a, it's a longer passage today. And so it was kind of interesting um, trying to figure out, okay, what is the main point of this text? And yet, um, is the main point what I think uh, should be our main point? Uh, and just trying to wrestle through this text this week. And so uh, it has been a really, really, really great uh, time to be able to study and be in the Word this week and in this passage in Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 13. Uh, but before uh, we get there, um, it's been a while, okay? And if you've been around Hope Lower Town, you know it's been a while since I've, I've talked about my Jeep, right? Okay, can we just say, yeah, it's been a while. It used to be like a weekly thing, but now, you know, it's been a couple years, I think, at least. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is my 96 Jeep Cherokee XJ Sport, my name, 96 Jeep XJ. Uh, this was, uh, it's funny because I, I got this thing at a really good price and, and I, it was just a vehicle. It was just to get from A to B and then I hit a deer and then I Googled how do you fix a radiator in a Jeep and then it just opened the world uh, to how to modify these XJs. Those are my two, my two boys on top. Uh, they're being safe. I'm, I'm, I'm watching them. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, anyways, uh, I, I love this vehicle. It's, a, it's a, just a fun vehicle to have. And, and you know, we go off-roading every once in a while. And, and uh, it's just an old Jeep. And if it breaks down, I don't really care, right? It's not, it's not, it's not that important. I would probably cry. Uh, but uh, it, anyways, the reason why I bring that up, there's actually no reason. I just want to talk about my Jeep. No, I'm kidding. Here's why I bring it up. This is, um, this is the engine, okay, of this Jeep. And I, there's a point to this, I promise. This is a, an inline six. So it's not a V6. So maybe you don't know this. Uh, engines are, if you just like, oh, I have a V4 or a V6 or a V8. It means they're, get this, in a, in a V shape, okay? So, so the pistons are going uh, opposite of one another to balance it. But what they used to do back in the day, uh, especially for more power and torque, was they would just line them all straight up. So there wouldn't be anything out of balance. They would just all be, and so it's an inline six. They're just straight in a row. Um, and like tractors are built this way. It's just bulletproof. Uh, you know, the thing's got 370,000 miles and it runs better than it did when I first bought it. It just gets better with age, you know? Uh, anyways, I bring it up because of this. And I'm, not a, I'm not like a, uh, an engine head, engine head, uh, grease uh, motor head, uh, grease monkey or anything like that. I don't know anything about engines or cars except uh, this Jeep. And, uh, but there is this part on there that I wanna, I wanna point out um, that's called a manifold. And, and what a manifold does, you can, you can kind of see it, kind of that big aluminum block there, if you will, uh, those kind of square tubes. I don't know how, why they made them square, but they're there for a reason. And that there's six of these things that come off of the engine. And so when the pistons go up and down and make that explosion, uh, the exhaust goes out of all these pistons and then it goes and it channels them into one spot, which then goes through the, the, the exhaust and it goes through the muffler and all that. If there's a muffler attached, half the time there's one on my Jeep, half the time there's not. Um, and so all that exhaust though, it's called a manifold. And a manifold just means a multifaceted object. And so you have all these different aspects that then combine into one thing. And, and the Apostle Paul, and, and it's our language in English, I understand that. But, but the Apostle Paul is going to use that language uh, this morning of the manifold uh, wisdom of God. And when we look at this part specifically, and a lot of parts, on, especially on these old cars, they have something that they call an OEM part, the original equipment manufacturer. 
So the original equipment manufacturer says, this is the part that we want you to put on your car. So if something breaks on my Jeep, which doesn't ever happen, but if it were to happen, um, I, the first thing I do is Google OEM part for this 96 Jeep Cherokee. And the cool thing about it, it doesn't matter, uh, just stick to the topic, uh, that, that when you get this OEM part, right, it's the original uh, equipment manufactured. This is the part that fits. Now, I could look for maybe cheaper parts. I could look for modified parts. I could look for souped up parts. I could look for all kinds of things. But it doesn't quite fit the way it was originally intended to fit. So let's look at this manifold wisdom of God in Ephesians 3, chapter 1 through 13. He starts off by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I'll have all the scripture up on the screen, but uh, reading from the NIV today, uh, feel free to follow along or you can just look up at the screen, but I'll have all the, all the scripture up on the screen today. For this reason, what is the reason? I'm not gonna go back and recap everything, but he's just talking about the main thing, highlighting the Gentiles, that, that, that the Israelites, that the, the Jews were given this wisdom of God clearly that he revealed himself to them in the Old Testament through the prophets, through his own words, speaking to his people, speaking through Moses, giving them the law, revealing who he is and his mission for Israel to include all nations. But then Israel is like, ah, I want to keep this to myself. Uh, this is about me. I don't want to share this. I don't want to bless other nations. I'm going to protect myself. And it doesn't go well for them. And so now then what we looked at last week is the apostle Paul shows up and he's like, Oh, this isn't just for them. This is for all people, including the Gentiles. Gentiles just means all other ethnicities, all ethne. And so last week specifically, just re re recapping what we did last week, was looking at this dividing wall of hostility. And there's this diagram of, of the, the temple, uh, Herod's temple or the second temple that was in Jerusalem. This would have been the temple that Jesus would have frequented when you, when you read in the stories about Jesus going to the temple, this would have been the temple in Jerusalem. And there was this little half wall around. On the outside was the court of Gentiles. On the inside of that then was the court of women or the court of Israel. Um, and you had to be Jewish to go into that. And, and these stones had been found in that area, just in excavated, and they're in museums all over the world. But a rough translation is, if you're a foreigner, if you're a stranger, uh, we are not responsible for your death. Right? That, that's what it says. We're not responsible when you die. Not if you die, like when you die. And, and so the Apostle Paul last week says, Jesus tears down with his flesh this wall of hostility. It's a hostile wall. And in Jesus, he tears it down and says, it's not, it's not about Jews and Gentiles anymore. It's one people united in Christ to God. And so let's pick up here. We look, we're introduced to a mystery. And what, I don't know, different things might come to mind when we think of a, of a mystery, but the apostle Paul is gonna use that word mystery multiple times in this in this text, but so starting in verse two, he says, surely you have heard about the administration, the way that God chose to reveal himself. You've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, the Gentile people in Ephesus. Not that Jews couldn't read this, but he's, this is for, for you, for the Gentiles. God has revealed something to me to share to you. That is, the mystery made known to me by the revelation as I have already written briefly. And we're not gonna go back and look at it, but in chapter one, he used that same word, this mystery of Jew and Gentile, that they're one now. 
And so the Apostle Paul is referencing that. So what comes to mind when you think of a mystery? You might think of, of mystery novels and books, and, and uh, there's a lot of really good uh, mystery novels and, and movies or whatever, me, podcasts. Um, uh, what's, the, what's the new uh, one on, on Hulu? Uh, Only Murderers in the Building. Uh, if you've watched that, it's a great uh, Martin Short and, uh, and um, Steve Martin. Uh, Steve Martin's so good. Uh, anyways, so there's this, just, there's, there's this mystery. And, if you're, and it, there's something intriguing about mysteries. Like I, there's some information out there that I don't have, but I want to get it, right? I, I want to uh, have access to this knowledge. You might think of uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, the three there uh, on, on the left in the black and white, I have no idea who those, who those guys are. Uh, but then you have um, uh, Mark, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. And you know what's funny about the next guy? If I said, if I said um, what's, that, what's that actor's name? Uh, 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 Budapest Cucumber? You'd know who I was talking about, wouldn't you? Cumberbatch? Forget it. I thought it was funny to me. And then the last guy, I have no idea who the last guy is. That's uh, Gandalf, right? Isn't that the actor that plays Gandalf? I didn't know that they, uh... sure. Who is that? John Hurt. It could be, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I didn't know they made another Sherlock Holmes. It's a mystery to me, haha. I don't know who that is. I don't know that they made another Sherlock Holmes movie after uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cum Cucumber. Um, yep. Uh, anyways, but here's the point though of, of a mystery, right? What the Apostle Paul tells us is this mystery has now been made known, which is wild. Okay, the, the very word of mystery, it, it implies something known that we can't figure out. There's, the information's out there, but I, I, gotta, I gotta try to find it. I gotta, I gotta achieve it, right? There's, we're intrigued by this. Our culture is. Um, there was the TV shows that was popular in the 90s of Unsolved Mysteries, um, right? That just kept you up at night when you were a kid, you'd watch it. Why are your parents let you watch this stuff? I don't know. Uh, and then you'd go to bed like, he's going to get me, uh, right? These unsolved mysteries. And we were intrigued by that. And everyone wants some kind of insider knowledge. We want to be the sleuth. We want to be the detective. We do that at home. We, we do murder mystery nights and we, we, it's fun doing this kind of stuff. We like that. But the thing is, that way of thinking hasn't changed from the time the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. And so there were these, in Ephesus, these mystery cults. And, and they were these, these cults that re revolved around some kind of secret knowledge. Think like the Masons or whatever it may be. Or, uh, uh, man, I'm drawing blanks on actors' names today. Uh, um, no, 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 glasses. Paul uses it uh, with the, uh, uh, Nick Cage. Thank you, Nicholas Cage, uh, right? That there's some kind, he's the detective. He's going to figure something out right, that we, we love seeing this, but nothing's changed from in our culture than it is mystery codes. We've got to find something out, the Da Vinci Code, right? We've got, to, we've got to learn something. And then I have this knowledge, but what's really interesting about what, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is making a, a really, really kind of fun correlation here between these mystery cults that were very prevalent. I could list 10 of them uh, that we know about that were in Ephesus. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but there's all these different cults but you have this secret knowledge, but the whole point of it is once you gain this secret knowledge, you keep it to yourself. You don't talk about it anymore. And, and even so the, the mystery, it's the same word in, in Greek, if you were, uh, that they use the, they use the letter m, uh, mu, and, and it starts with M, and it literally means lips pressed shut. So this idea of mystery is you keep your mouth shut about it. You don't talk about it. You don't, you don't, 
teach other people about it. You, you got some insider knowledge in this cult and you keep it to yourselves and we're going to get together and we're going to talk about it. We're going to practice it. You don't tell anybody about it. And now the apostle Paul says, this mystery of the Jew and Gentile thing becoming one, although it never was a mystery, he, he makes it very clear and the, and the prophets make it clear that it was always about all nations. It was always about all people. But now this has been made known. It has been made so clear. And now we're not just gonna keep it to ourselves. We're gonna tell everybody about it. So the apostle Paul, going back to verse two, says, surely you have heard, you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So God shared this information to me. And if you go back to Acts, uh, when, he, when, when the apostle Paul is Saul, and you might not know this, might not be familiar with the Bible, and that's okay, but the guy writing this letter used to persecute Christians. He was a Jewish leader, uh, and he went after Christians, people who believed in Christ, in Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins. And he's like, no, Jesus was not the Messiah. The Messiah is not gonna die. The Messiah is not gonna be a servant. He's not gonna suffer. He's gonna be king and he's gonna kick the Romans out. So how dare you Christians say Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm gonna come after you and I'm gonna kill you. And then, and then Paul or Saul, he's, he's on this road. He's going to Jerusalem to kill Christians. And Jesus shows up to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus blinds Paul and for three days he's in darkness and Paul knows the Old Testament. And I think as he's chewing on it, as Jesus has revealed himself to him, goes, oh, there's the storyline of the Bible. It's about all people. I thought it was just me and my people and, and the Messiah of the Jews. And it's not, it's the Messiah of all people. So this has been made known to Paul by revelation as I have already written briefly in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Even in that language, it hasn't been revealed, but the prophets talked about it. Old Testament Jewish people talked about this. And it's not just Paul. The apostle Peter uh, says, as we preached through First uh, Peter a couple years ago, says this in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, again, Peter writing to the Gentile church, searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances in which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. That these people are, these prophets are writing things down about God and about the Messiah, this promised one of God that was gonna come and set his people free. They wanted to know, when is this gonna happen? How is this gonna look? Who is this person? They wanted to know. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, church, when they spoke of the things that have now been told by you, by those who have preached the gospel to you in the Holy, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things that even the angels that have been around a whole lot longer than us are like, wait a second, the Gentiles are in? How, how does this work? How did... There's a lot going on. And so we can see that according to Peter and Paul and Jesus, that they're not trying to build some secret society, that it's not we're gonna build some church and, and we get some kind of insider knowledge. Ah, ha, ha, I know more than you know about the Messiah. Stay out, you gotta join us. You gotta do this thing and this right. No, the apostle Peter tells us, no, you, you proclaim the marvelous grace of him who called you out of darkness into light. 
We proclaim that. We talk about it. We preach about it. We share it with anyone and everyone that we can. And so this mystery that has now been made known, and it will blow your mind. This is something that would have been so wild. I mean, as a, as a, as a Gentile, as any other ethnicity other than Israel, uh, Israel or Hebrew or Jewish, that, that, that this was their God. And we have our gods over here, but now you're saying, wait, we, we can worship this God too? Moving on to verse six. It says, this mystery is that through the gospel, here it is, he's laying it out. <laughs> this mystery, this thing I'm supposed to keep my lips shut about, according to these, these uh, mystery cults, hey, let, me, let me reveal it. I'm gonna open my mouth. Is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus was sent by God as God to take on human flesh, live a perfect life that I can't live and die for my sins. And all I do is put my faith in him. I just believe and that's it. That's the gospel. I'm forgiven of my sin. That's the gospel. That that good news, the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body. It's no longer Jew and Gentile. The dividing wall of hostility has been ripped down by the blood of Christ. And now they are shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Christ is just another word for Messiah. The Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. The apostle Paul then uses this language. He says, I became a servant or another translation, I became a prisoner. It's interesting language because we wouldn't necessarily highlight that. If you were, if you were a vice president of, of some company, uh, you wouldn't like send out a memo to the team like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm proud that I'm in jail for the things that I've done. It's just, it just not language that we would, we would use. And he even says further on, I'm not gonna uh, get to there right now. We'll, we'll get there at the end. But one of the last things he says, and I have suffered for this cause. But I, so you're, in pri- you're saying you're a prisoner and you've suffered. You're saying that's a good thing? Yeah, I'm doing this for you to reveal and I'm being imprisoned by people that I love and I'm suffering at their hands. He says this in verse seven, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, what a line. If, if only every leader of any religious institution, myself included, would grasp that, that I am least of these. What a different world I think we would have. The apostle Paul is saying, I am humbled. I am a servant. I am a prisoner to Christ and I suffer for his name's sake. I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, make plain, make it obvious to everyone the uh, the administration of this mystery, right? He's flipping this idea of what a mystery is on its head. For which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I wanna look at just the suffering of Paul. He outlines this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But when he says, I, I suffered, if you were to have a, a resume of saying, hey, Gentiles, I've been called to preach the gospel of Jesus. 
that he came to this earth and he suffered and died and bled for you so you could have freedom in God, that you could approach Yahweh, same God. This is what I've done for you. Why? Because uh, I get a good paycheck at the end of the day? Because I'm popular? People like me? I suffer. Let me tell you about my suffering. He says, I was imprisoned and flogged. I was exposed to death. And I, that's a kind of a weird way to phrase it. I think of like, if you've seen the little clip of um, someone's like, uh, why are so many people afraid of technology? See this? And then someone's got a sign that written on there that says technology. And then some people walk by and they just turn and they go, technology, right? And they're like, ah, <laughs> right? I don't think he means I was exposed to death. And someone's like, death, ah, <laughs> right? He means like, I was left out. I was exposed, like left to die. And then he says, five times I received 39 lashes. It was a Roman law that if you, unless you were going to execute somebody, you could give them 40 lashes. So, so in other words, even Romans were like, hey, we want to inflict as much damage, as much pain and suffering as humanly possible without killing them, bring them right to the edge. This is exactly what happens to Jesus uh, when he's brought before a pilot. And they're like, hey, we should kill him. And he's like, we can't kill him, but we'll, we'll bring him up to the point of death and we'll, we'll whip him 39 times. Let him bleed, let him suffer. But we're not gonna kill him, not yet. That happens to Paul five times, 39 lashes. It says he was beaten three times, was beaten with rods, one time pelted, with stones. I don't know if you've ever, like someone's ever thrown a rock at you. I, I remember as a kid getting hit with a rock. Uh, I don't know if I got a concussion. I probably did. That was in the 80s. So nobody really cared about concussions back then. But uh, I probably maybe did. I remember just getting a welt and bleeding from a, from a rock, right? And, and just imagine like that, that just constantly pelted with stones. It's recorded in Acts chapter 14, where the apostle Paul, it's a wild story. The apostle Paul uh, goes into a city that's full of Gentiles. That's what he did. He would go and preach the gospel to people who didn't believe it. And he goes into this, this, this the temple of Zeus and they heal a, a, a man, a, a lame man and starts walking. And, and the priest, the, the, the high priest of Zeus is like, you guys must be God in the flesh, right? So, so Barnabas, are you Zeus? Uh, Paul, are you Hermes? You're the voice of God. And, 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 and then they're like, no, 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 no. This isn't about us. This is about Jesus, and then the Jews, the Jewish leaders come in. They're like, oh, let me tell you who these people are. They're bad. They're prisoners. They're frauds. And they're like, okay, let's stone him. And they stone him. He's knocked out. He's out cold. They think he's dead. And they drag his lame body out of the city and leave him for dead. And then he wakes up and goes back into the city. It's wild. Pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked. One time left in the open sea. Danger from rivers and bandits. Uh, this one's always kind of comical, like danger of rivers, like, like they're coming after me, these rivers. I don't know, maybe Paul, maybe could have left this one off the resume. Um, I remember I, a while back, I had a buddy who was, he was uh, in HR and he was doing an interview with somebody and they said that they were, um, they were a squad commander in their unit. And he was like, wow, that's, that's phenomenal. Like what, what branch of the army or what, tell me more about that. And he's like, oh yeah, it's um, and like my, my Halo video game group online. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we're done. <laughs> Move on, next, <laughs> right? Like, leave that one off the resume, right? Uh, dangers from Jews and Gentiles. Again, Gentiles means all ethnic. So danger from all people, danger in the city, country and sea, danger from false believers without sleep, without food and without clothes. 
And what we can see from Paul doing this, he's not saying, hey, I want you to look at me. I want to look at how great I am. He's saying, look how great my Savior is. Look how great, I, I am a servant and I suffer, but I look to the ultimate suffering servant that is Christ. And so Paul here is, is, is like a Christ in that he is a suffering servant, but we see that Jesus Christ suffered and died for all people. And the apostle Paul then suffers and dies so that all people would know about it. He wants to make sure that this is not a mystery where it's the lips are pressed sealed. He wants all people to know about this. This next phrase is mind-blowing to me. The Apostle Paul, and I, I got the verses here, but I, I had to put this up there. That if you were to fill in this blank, it says this, God's intent was that now through blank, fill in the blank, the manifold, here it is, the manifold, the multifaceted, all these different aspects of God is gonna funnel into this one thing. This manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The apostle Paul likes using that phrase, heavenly realms, just means anywhere there is any spirituality happening, all the places where there's spirit happening, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, it is finished in Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord what would we fill that blank in with? God's intent was that now through Jesus, through, through his Holy Spirit, through, through me, through the, the apostles, through Peter, the first Pope, what, what, what are we doing? What are we talking about here? That now he says, through the church, the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all the rulers and authorities in every place, every sphere of spiritual activities. That's his intent. That through the church, this multifaceted wisdom of God. So you're telling me again, I, and it might be, might be a stretch here, but you're telling me that this OEM part, right? The original uh, uh, manufacturer, Equipment manufacturer was that the church? That was the church. It was always the part, the point of the church. That was going to fit this. And then we might go, I don't know about that. Not the church I know. Not this church. Not Hope Lower Town. Not Hope. Not the church. Not the American church. Not the church. It can't be the church. Something's gone wrong here. Something's gone screwy. Something's gone off. Because the church, nah. I love though how the Apostle Paul uses that word manifold. This multifaceted that, man, we are not perfect. We got leaks and we got leaky gaskets and we got broken O-rings and things are falling apart all over the place in every church, every church. We're not perfect and we don't claim to be perfect. And I hope that every leader can say, I'm the least of these. I was again reminded even just this morning of uh, uh, Switchfoot. Uh, I brought them up a couple times now last month. But they used to sing this song called The Beautiful Letdown. I think it's such a great title of a song. It was a beautiful letdown when I realized that it was about Jesus and God opening my eyes. He says this though in the lyrics. What's the lead singer? What's the writer's name? Sure. He says this. 
the church of the dropouts, the losers, the sinners, the failures, and the fools. Oh, what a beautiful letdown. <laughs> you can't say it any better. That's, that's, that's the church through that, through that, through a place of fools and sinners and failures and losers and dropouts. That's me. That's you, no offense. <laughs> We're not here to be pristine. We're not here to be perfect. Keller, Tim Keller, pastor in, in, in New York says this, the church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. It is through the church, through my brokenness, my sinfulness, that while I was still a sinner, as he says in chapter two, Jesus dies for me. And guess what? I remain a sinner the rest of my life. And it's only by the good grace and the blood of Christ that I can now approach God as he's about to say. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose. This has always been the plan. This is not plan B. This has always been plan A, that all people would approach God and worship him and love him because he is worthy of it. Not because I have to, I need to, I get to. I see him. I see my sin. And then Jesus says, I don't. It's gone. It's always been plan A. And he accomplished us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him, in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He's again, directly playing off of what he just talked about, this dividing wall of hostility. We couldn't even go into the court of women. We couldn't go into the court of Israel. We couldn't even go into the temple. And we for sure couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. He says, it's all done. It's all gone. Jesus tore all that down. All people, all nations, all ethne have access to God. And we now have freedom, confidence, Priests didn't have that to go into the Holy of Holies. They were terrified to go into that space once a year on the Day of Atonement. And now Jesus says, we're done with that. All people now have freedom and confidence. He says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I suffer so that you can know. But I want to highlight this aspect of it's in Christ, through Christ, that we're forgiven by Christ and the blood of Christ so that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. I uh, recently was introduced, I'm a, you know, I'm a dad. My uh, oldest just turned five not that long ago. And uh, my middle boy just turned three last Sunday. And next Sunday, my youngest is turning one. So five, three, and one. And so I was recently introduced to this book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. Does this ring a bell to anybody? Um, some of you may have heard this. I, I thought it was new. It's not. I just looked up in the back with Nolan. It was, came out in 97. Um, and so anyways, someone told my wife about this and, uh, we, we've been reading it and, uh, let me just read it. It's a children's book and all analogies break down. So don't overanalyze it or whatever. Just read it and listen to it. And just, just, I want you to read this idea of freedom and confidence. Let me just read, read this, this, this book here. Let me, uh, there we go. Do, do, do. Get to the first page. Okay, here we are. The Wimmicks, Wimmicks, the Wimmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wimmick was different. 
Some had big noses, others had large eyes, some were tall and others short. Some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And one day, every day, and all day, every day, the Wemmicks would did the same thing. They gave each other other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars, but the, if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads and jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs and everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others though could do little and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, and so people would give him more dots. And when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots, and he felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It was just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for not having any stars, and so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the wood shop with him, the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But he still, but would he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear, so Punchinello went home and he sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave, and then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little, little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked, up, picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. 
I didn't mean to, Eli. I've tried really hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what other Wemmicks think of you. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. You, who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think that you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me, special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on the small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly, because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I'd been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you of how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. When we look at the church, I wonder what kind of group of Wemmicks are we? Do we judge each other? Do we judge ourselves? Are we praising each other for things that ought not to be praised? Are we looking down on other people for not doing something or, or doing something, whatever that may be? What about ourselves? <laughs> Do you believe that you have freedom and confidence to approach the maker? Because I, I think <laughs> there are some of us that might just say, I, I, don't, I don't even care. I, I don't care that there's a creator. So why does it even matter? There might be others that go, man, I, I wish there was a creator that loved me. I, I don't feel that way. What the Apostle Paul has been trying to point out to us in this passage is that we have that freedom. Right? We, we are, the church is the original equipment manufacturer's design that he would, that that manufacturer, that creator would be known through the church, through you, through Christ and faith in Christ. That we are to proclaim the goodness who brought us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That we tell others, just like Lucia, you need to go to the creator. Why? Oh, because someday, someday's gonna be bad. He's gonna, he's gonna burn you up. Now that might be the case, but here's a better reason why I want you to go see Eli. I want you to go see the creator because he loves you. He created you. Matter of fact, you are made in his image. So now we have freedom and confidence to approach that throne of grace to find help in a time of need. Every week at Lower Town, we have communion. And so we have the elements laid out. 
on either side here. And musicians are going to come back up and we're going to sing uh, two songs and play through two songs. And as you feel moved to, to get up, whenever that may be, um, just would ask you're a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you say, yeah, I know the creator and I know that he knows me. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe today is the first time you've heard it that way and you're like, I want to be known. He already knows you. He already sent his son to suffer and die for you and to forgive you. And today can be the day of repentance. Today can be the first time maybe taking these elements. And so we have these elements, the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was shed out for us. And if you've been coming to Lower Town for a while, we do this every week. And maybe it's just like, yeah, okay, just have it. Yep, get up there, take the, break the bread or eat, the, eat this wafer, drink the juice. Remember. Remember, right? Picture God, the creator with his hands on your tiny little shoulders and saying, I love you because I created you. And I love you so much that I sent my son to break his body and to shed his blood for you. That's real. And we get to remember that. We get to remember the sacrifice that Christ did for us because our creator loves us so much and we can approach the throne with confidence. Let me pray and we'll partake of these elements. We'll lift up our voices, repent of sins, approach the throne with confidence, ask for forgiveness of sins. And when we do that, scripture tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, wash us from all those stars and dots because <laughs> that's not what it's about. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are our creator. I thank you that you love us. I know that there are people in this room, myself included, but there are, there are days, there are moments, there are months, there are years where I, I look up to that hill and I see your workshop and I go, yeah, I know he, he created me. I know he said he loves me. I just don't, I don't feel it. God, would we in this moment go to you and, and taste and see that you do love us, that you do care for us. That when we draw near to you, you're already near. You're already there waiting for us. You're waiting for us to come home with open arms and you see us coming and you run towards us and embrace us. And you say, let's, let's party because my child has come home. So God, I pray for those who are far off, as the Apostle Paul would say in this passage, I pray for those who are near, that all of us would come together under the blood of Christ and rejoice and celebrate together at what your son has done that was always plan A. So God, we thank you. Would you be honored and glorified now as we partake of these elements, as we lift up our voices and praise to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.